Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. I used to get a buzz out at Robin, getting in trouble, of course, getting locked up. We turn our phones off in the evening, and it's great. I just think there's too many other things going on in life to enjoy. The government putting that up now is just, it's not even the nail in the coffin. It's they've dug the hole and they've thrown you in for it. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 Email opinion at 96fm. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Coach 96 FM. Right, I'm going to go straight to the lines. Uh, Lots to do this morning. We finally know who your man is, or we have an idea at least who your man is with all the passports, all the strange story. We know who he is now. At least we have a proper name on him. Get to that in a minute. Back to the issue of vaping in schools. Back to the issue of phones in schools. More follow-up on taking the toilet doors off. Uh, we had a big discussion on that yesterday morning. But let's go straight to Mayfield where there has been an incident. It's just breaking in the last hour. Paul Byrne of Virgin Media News joins me. Paul, what can you tell me so far? Morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Um, about quarter to eight, the fire service received a call to say there was a fire at a house at Annalee Grove in Mayfield. Now, units from the Cork City Fire Brigade responded, and when they arrived at the scene, they extinguished the fire, but they found that a man had been stabbed, and immediately they notified the ambulance service as well as Gardaí. Now, this man has been described as serious, in a serious condition. My understanding is that he received multiple stab wounds, both to the uh, front and back of his body, as well as his legs. So... It's very early in the investigation because Gardaí will now want to speak to anyone and in particular to the injured party in this investigation. As soon as they arrived, the guards uh, sealed off the area. A forensic examination will be carried out. Uh, My understanding is that they're looking for a weapon believed to have been used in this incident. Again, it's early. Uh, The investigation is at an early stage. So, you know, they will be appealing to people who were passing the area because, you know, the families were heading out to work. People were going to school. People must have seen something. So, Quarter day, it was around about first light, wasn't it, Paul? Really? Yeah, just, just, you know, as I said, they received a call about quarter to eight. So... 
though there, there was a team of emergency services up there. You had the ambulance service, you had Gardaí, you had the fire service, you had the West Cork Rapid Response Unit as well, Dr. Jason Vanderbilt, and he had uh, he was at the scene. And when he attends, you know that it's an extremely serious incident. Now, the injured party, a man who I understand is in his 30s, has been taken to Cork University Hospital and will undergo surgery uh, very, very shortly. Gardaí, again, um, and Mayfield are investigating and also at Watercourse Road and they're appealing for anyone who has information but they hope to be in a position to speak to the injured party when medics say that he's suitable to, to, to be interviewed and also to the homeowner or any witnesses. Again, it's Annalee Grove in Mayfield and anybody who has information is at urge to contact the Gardaí. Alright, we'll leave it there because that's what you have. If you have any more, come back to us over the next couple of hours all the breaking stories as they happen on the Opinion Line. Paul Bourne, Southern Correspondent of Virgin Media News and occasional presenter of this programme, Annalee Grove Mayfield. Serious incident, man with stab wounds, uh, fire at a house. As Paul says, when Dr. Jason van der Velde is called in, you know it's a serious incident. We'll stay across it. Thank you, Paul. 0818969696. If anybody up there can tell us more, either on or off the air, we'd like to build upon what we know. Well, thank you, Paul, for now. <laughs> Who is your man? Everyone's been asking this question for the last few weeks. Who is your man with all the passports, with the baby's passports? Who is he? We thought his name was Philip Morris. Turns out it is Randolph Kirk Parker. There's a moniker. He's 72 years old. He's currently in Cork Prison. And the story had a new chapter yesterday at Cork District Court. Olivia Kelleher was in court. Before we go through what happened yesterday, Olivia, just recap again for listeners. What is this story here, this guy with all the passports? Good morning. I suppose. Good morning, PJ. I know you're intrigued by this one. Um, I suppose this man was stopped at the passport office um, in September. Um, he was arrested on the 15th of September at the passport office in South Mal. And basically, um, he was charged with allegedly using passports in the names of two dead babies. Now, initially, the name they had for the man was Philip Morris. But allegedly, um, Philip Morris, uh, they, they made inquiries and it was determined that uh, Philip Morris was the name of a dead baby. So uh, the situation was a very unusual one, was that a man was in custody and nobody knew who he was until yesterday. Um, the investigation, I suppose, has been led by Detective Guard Podrick Hanley of the Guard and National P- Bureau of Crime Investigation. Mm. And whenever he comes into court, you know there's an update. So he came into court district court yesterday and uh, updated the court with the progress in the investigation. Now, in his last appearance, he had said that they had determined who the person was and that the person had an FBI arrest record from 1970. Yesterday, when he came to court, he said that the man had been positively identified as Randolph Parker. The man wasn't in 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 court yesterday. He appeared in court by video link. So you could just see him, a 72-year-old man, grey tracksuit, black frame glasses, grey hair tied back in a ponytail. He didn't have to speak during the hearing other than to confirm that he could see and hear what was going on. Mm-hmm. So um, Detective Guard Hanley said that they established the name Randolph Parker. They were able to identify the accused with the aid of the FBI and the U.S. Embassy. 
And he said the man in custody had a date of birth of the 7th of March, 1951, and was a U.S. national. And no further details were given as to his personal circumstances. So we know absolutely nothing about him other than the name Randolph Parker and that there is an FBI arrest record from 1970. Now, Mr. Parker, um, who's 72, is being represented by Solicitor Frank Buttermer. He said that his client acknowledged he was the name per- named person who'd previously been called Philip Morris in court. And he also acknowledged that the date of birth as read out by uh, Detective Hanley, was correct. Um, uh, Sergeant Pat Lines, then PJ, um, asked if he could amend the name on the charge sheet to Randolph Parker, because up to now, the charge sheet hasn't had that name. And he applied for a remand in custody for a month in order to complete the uh, guard investigation. And uh, Mr. Boschmer said there was consent for the four-week remand. So he was remanded in custody until the 5th of December next. But this has involved a major investigation, I suppose, to to get to this point. Um, we previously heard that the court had been, uh, sorry, that Interpol had been liaising yeah. with their 195 member countries in a bid to identify the man. And um, the, the, the court previously heard that the man hadn't given any hadn't given any assistance in terms of identifying himself or hadn't cooperated in any way. Mm-hmm. So he's he's charged with providing false information to obtain passports in the names of uh, two infants born in the 1950s who died within months of their birth. One senses, Olivia, that there are many more chapters in this story and we'll follow it. Thank you. That's a court reporter, Olivia Kelleher. The case of Randolph Kirk Partner, Parker, who we previously thought was, was called Philip Morris. But he's not. He has an FBI rap sheet, an arrest warrant, an arrest sheet from 1970. And that's how they eventually found out who he is. He was arrested in September in the passport office downtown. We know not how the two are connected. We will find out. The passport man. They were called. It's funny, but it's not. Randolph Kirk Parker, resident currently of Cork Prison. Um, it's a bizarre story. You, I did courts for long enough, and Olivia's done courts for long enough. This is one of the strangest ones we've come across in many a long day. It's a story waiting to be told. 0818-96-96-96. We were talking yesterday to Katie from the newsroom, uh, comparing the cost of Bruce Springsteen tickets was one thing, but accommodation for Springsteen on his trip to Ireland next May. We kind of figured out it would be cheaper to go to Milan than to go to Coke Park. Like, hello? Um, back in the 80s, the, uh, oh yeah, in Kate says greed is going to ruin all these concerts. And Tanya said, I paid 235 for a room in Dublin last week for a night at a concert breakfast. It was 18 euro each extra. For 235, you don't even get a sausage. I could have gone to Portugal for five nights for two people, flights, accommodation, 300 euro. You see? And then the suggestion... Now, I don't know how this would ever work. I don't know whether it would even be legal. I don't know whether it would be... Certainly, if people would be opposing it, hotel prices should be capped, as they do with private landlords in the rental system. And they should be introduced to prevent prices from going crazy. 
You see, there's a thing. If you go into any hotel room in the country, I'm going to throw out this out there for what it's worth. If you go into any hotel room in the country and close the back of the door, okay, you will see a little poster on it with a stamp on it, board Fulcher, whatever it's calling itself these days, Fulcher Ireland, isn't it? And there'll be a, it's like a license. It's like a license for the hotel room. And down on that, there'll be a, a series of prices based on the time of the year. And for argument's sake, it might say May to September, 180 euro. That is the minimum. They're allowed to charge at least that from May to September. And you can different times, different prices for different. So they're allowed to charge at least 180 uh, from May to September. They can go below it if they want to, but they are allowed to charge it. There is no max. So that 180 can become 580 at the drop of a hat once you hear that someone well known is playing down the road. What our correspondent here wants to do is put an upper limit. So say 180 and then max of 280, we'll say. They want to put a maximum on it. How would you feel about that? Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. I remember the first time I heard the term Mossy Walls. Mossy what Mossy Walls? Mossy wasn't he a bass player with a wedding band I used to play with in the nineties or DJ with in the nineties? Mossy Walls. I remember Mossy Walls. And no, no, Mossy Walls are these things that are going to completely transform the city centre. Yeah, right. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. So you're right, Mossy Walls was not the bass player in any dodgy wedding band any time in the 90s. Mossy Walls was the other name given to the robot trees. Uh, which probably have a correct name, but I've, I've long since forgotten it. But they were unveiled in the summer of 2021, downtown, down Grand Parade and on Patrick Street, at a cost to you and me and Emer and Fergal and everybody else, the cost of us, the taxpayer, of €404,000. The man who unveiled them and stood next to them for the photo shoot, Lord Mayor of the time, Councillor Cullum Kelleher, joins me. Cullum, they're no use to Godner man. Good, Let's good get rid of them, surely. Richard. And we've proved it good now. Morning. They're, good morning, Cullum. They're no use to good Godner man. Yeah, look, PJ, um, I suppose two and a half years ago, uh, you know, uh, while I was serving as Lord Mayor, um, I was, I suppose... Uh, one, I think it was a Monday morning or Tuesday morning, uh, driven to Patrick Street uh, about a half an hour prior to this, handed a brief and said, Lord Mayor, you're uh, launching robot trees. Uh, well, they were called city trees at the time. I said, what's a, what's a city tree? So I, I had briefed 30 minutes to familiarise myself with what these were supposedly were mm-hmm. um, and to go out and unveil them. Now, look, um, on paper, they seemed um, that they would basically reduce air pollution in the city. So obviously, look, we we do need to try novel devices. We do need to have a, a novel approach. But that being said, a substantial amount of money, like you you mentioned, four hundred and four thousand euros. There, they're costing eighteen thousand per annum to maintain, 
Um, we were advised last night at a special policy committee meeting, um, which we were presented with a 185-page document um, that uh, basically cost the council two and a half thousand euros. Uh, they commissioned UCC to do a report to see if they were effective. Um, since uh, my term as Lord Mayor, I've put down three questions in council asking for their effectiveness, whether they, they work or not. Uh, constantly, we were being kicked to touch, saying that we needed more, they needed more time to assess the data. And here we are two and a half years later with a report from an outside body that came back as inconclusive. Now, in any man's language, if you've two and a half, or any person's language, two and a half years into something and it's inconclusive, you know, if, if you have an engine and a car, PJ, it either starts or it doesn't. Yeah. Um, and they can't give us a definitive answer of whether they're not, they work or not. Yeah. 190 pages, and then we can't be told whether they work or not. 109 pages. Now, look, I, I'm I'm a quick reader, but it was given to us a half an hour before our, our, our committee meeting last night. Um, and in fairness to the executive, they were saying that they were compiling their report right up until the 11th hour before they gave it to councillors last night. Um, but like, there's this has left a sour taste in a lot of people's mouth. My own included, PJ. Like, as councillors, before these were installed. There was no consultation with the elected members of Cork City Council. Mm. Um, none. Um, so the, the the funding that this fell under was under the COVID July stimulus package that central government announced for all local authorities across the country. Um, and that was to do with street cleaning, segregated cycle lanes, you know, the Prince's Street with the umbrellas and stuff put up there. And in the middle of it were a city trees under the heading of um, new technologies. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm sorry for laughing, Colin, but what we're thinking here... You're right, you're right. You're is, right. <laughs> they sound to me like something else to put into the warehouse with the e-voting machines. Or, or wherever, that, <laughs> wherever that bloody sky garden is. Rusting away somewhere. <laughs> Put them in there. Yeah, yeah. Look, look, look. The sky garden and the voting machines were long before my time. But um, like, look, we've had numerous, um, numerous professionals, um, uh, you know, cast their eyes over this. Like Dr. Venables, a research at the Centre for Research into Atmospheric Chemistry in UCC. I think a, a while back, like you know, he he said that these were effectively a gimmick. Um, that there was no no scientific evidence that they can reduce air pollution. And PJ, one of the other things that I did as Lord Mayor, and it's probably never spoken about, is I launched a clean air cities, cities strategy mm-hmm. where there was sensors put the length and breadth of the city. You wouldn't even notice them. We drive past them. Every I remember day. that. John Wenger told me yeah. about those. Yeah. Yeah, we did it down on Winthrop Street and we received a report in the SPC about three or four months ago and we were told that we had some of the best air quality in Europe. Um, and I queried the robot trees at the time and said, "Are these? is this a reason as to why we have low atmospheric or low uh, pollutants particles on Patrick Street? And he said, no, they were, those trees weren't factored into this report at all at all. So you're standing there scratching your head going like, OK, we have some of the best air quality in, in, in Europe and yet these things have been put in, in Grand Parade and in Pana and they're not having any effect by all accounts. Um, so there were three options discussed last night, Cullum. Let them there, move them somewhere else and do more, or do more research. <laughs> <laughs> all of them cost money, PJ. Yeah. Like 18,000 euro per annum to power this uh, glorified pallet, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> it's called a state, a state, like, um, you know, um, 
And, you know, if we do more research and more reports, what, are we going to spend another 2,500 euros on a report that will tell us in six months' time that the findings are still inconclusive? Um, or you know, the third option that we would find a research inst- institute that would partner, I suppose, with us. Um, but like that's trying to, in my opinion, that's trying to like sell you know, you know a, a trailer with a, with a bad axle on it. Like I don't think we're going to find any suitors anytime quickly when you consider that there's a cost of nearly twenty grand per annum to run these things, and with no clear line of sight of whether they're effective or not. It was suggested last night at the SPC that they would work well indoors. I'm thinking, like, you can get an air conditioning system for about four or 500 quid, like, you know. So um, I personally believe we've gone down a rabbit hole. Um, it, there's money being spent on these per annum to the tune of 20,000 approximately. Like, we're in the middle of, of a budgetary process, PJ, and let me tell you, we've a budget of a quarter of a billion, approximately a mm. quarter of a billion per annum to fund the city. Yeah. How uh, much do we have, by the way, for fixing footpaths? 150,000 euros in last year's budget. Okay. So imagine what 404,000 would do on top of the 150. Now, we're hoping to increase that this year. But like that July stimulus package from central government, we could have, as a local authority, we could have applied for direct funding to rejuvenate footpaths. And I know as a local councillor, the length and breadth of my ward here and in you know my bailiwick here in Balancholic, footpaths are, are, are a pain in the neck because like, a lot of them are old infrastructure and the council had claims of over 1.2 million last year for trips and footpaths. So, well, you know, you know what's going to happen when you go canvassing, right? You'll go canvassing. I, I assume you're standing again next year. When you go canvassing, like yep. people coming to my house and I, I'm not just, you're not in my area, but someone coming to my house will be brought gently by the sleeve out to the end of my driveway to the pavement outside where I nearly brained myself on a broken pavement column in 2009. Oh, 100%, and rightly so. 2009, I nearly brained myself. Like, like, as, 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 and not to get party political here, like, but, and like, I recently attended the Fianna Fáil Ardesh, which I'm a member of, and um, we've spoke directly with the Minister for Local Government, and we're asking central government to increase funding for footpants to all local authorities. Because, like, if you look at 150,000 euro in the grand scheme of things, of a budget of a quarter of a billion, it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's a drop in a cup of tea, PJ. It's, it's not enough. Um, and, and the amount of money we're spending per annum on claims, I mean, like, you don't have to be a rocket science scientists stand it up. Like when you consider that the European Union, okay, has a budget of 183 billion per annum between the 27 member states, and the EU funded these robot trees or city trees as a, a pilot scheme across a, a number of European cities to the tune of 1.28 uh, million. Now we and and Lisbon got them on sale in return. Um, there was a few cities in in Germany given back after a couple of weeks, and we went away and bought them. Oh, uh, no, um, no, no. So, Hang on, we could have... So, we could've... So, <laughs> well, we could have got them on sale in return. Yeah, 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 Lisbon did that and gave them back. Um, so, like, the EU, when you put it into perspective, okay, they have a budget of $183 billion. They spent $1.28 billion across the entire European Union, and we spent nearly to the tune of 404000 which equates to about... We've spent about 27% of the EU's budget on these. Colm, I know you were running the Lord Mayor, and I know you sat in that morning and Finbar Archer gave you a file and said, here, you're going down here, and you had to read through it in half an hour. Who can we, bl- who can we drag out by the scruff of the neck from City Hall and say, come here? When everybody else had the option to give them back, we're stuck with the damn things. 
Look, PJ, we, we are in the middle of a climate emergency. Let's call a spade a spade here. And we see the, the flooding below in Middleton over the last number of weeks. And we've, we've, you know, 30 degrees in September. There's no getting away from it. And look, I am a firm believer that if we don't try novel and new things um, that, you know, we, we will stagnate and we won't move forward. I believe that the idea behind these was in the right place. Um, I, 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 you know, but the research, the due diligence could have been done a bit better. So that they did, if they didn't work, we would have an option to give them back. We now don't have that option. We're now left with these. So we have to decide what we're going to do with them. Um, I personally, and I said last night at the SPC, um, you know, not to cast any aspersions on the executive. Um, you know, they did it with the best laid plans of mice and men. But we're two and a half years into it now. And rather than go down a rabbit hole and fund it even more to find out they don't work in six months' time and then plug them out, they need to be plugged out today, PJ. And we need to figure out on what we can. Can they be recycled? Can they be reused? Can they be given to a research institute that may have use for them? Um, can we put them in the city museum? <laughs> can we at least put some Christmas lights on them and break them up for the next few weeks? Uh, look, I'll put I'll put a call in. I, I, see if we can do. Maybe, maybe we can get a virtual Santa on, on, on the interactive TVs that, that, that don't work on them. Yeah, can we show some? Were... Can we show some Christmas movies in the telly or something inside them? Whatever. Maybe, maybe Councillor John Mayer made a valid point that they were the most expensive seats in the city. No, oh, Jesus, PJ, you wouldn't. You, 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 you'd get four or five seats in Old Trafford for four hundred and forty-four thousand, wouldn't you? <laughs> Oh, Cullum, thank you very much. Cullum Kelleher, former Lord Mayor, the man who had the job of going down and unveiling these things. And as he told you there, found out half an hour before what he was doing. I can imagine the look on my pal Finbar Archer's face as he hands him the file. and go, here we go, Lord Mayor. That's where we're going this morning. <laughs> 0818 96 96 96. Speaking of Finbar... Um, if you have had your holly bow yet, and we'll talk about it later, if you've got your holly bow, you may have found my little article in the Hollybow. Very proud and honoured to be asked by John Dolan to contribute something to the Hollybow. And I was writing about the, the Lord Mayor and the office of the Lord Mayor and the Lord Mayor's, the Lord's Mayor that I've worked with over the years. And I dedicated the article to uh, Finbar Archer, the real Lord Mayor. So uh, if it's there in the Hollybow, have a read of it. And the Hollybow on your, on your streets, in your shops right now. Yeah, it's it's officially, it's officially car officially Christmas. It's beginning to look a lot. Yeah, because the holly bow is on the streets. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. But your suggestions are welcome. What do we do? <laughs> what do we do with the most expensive benches known to man? What do we do with things that are about as useful as e-voting machines and sky gardens? What do we do with those yokes? I can think just about see one. From where I'm sitting, just about make out one from where. What do we do with them? As the former Lord Mayor said, they're basically a glorified pallet with a telly in them. Or as John Maher said, they're the most expensive benches we've ever bought. And not to mind the fact, this is the bit that has me going, oh my. Not to mind the fact that half the other countries that bought them, did he say Lisbon? Did he say Germany, a couple of German cities, bought them and very cleverly said, right, if they don't work, you can have them back, sale or return. Everybody else that used these blasted things had an option to give them back or get rid of them. What do we do? We fucking bought them. Come on, like, come on. Mick says, for that kind of money, surely there was some warranty for these overpriced pallets, suggests Mick. 
The best thing they could do with them now is turn them into firewood and heat the homeless. They're ugly looking yokes as well. John says there's only one thing to do with these. Send them up to the north of Ireland on the 12th of July because they're always looking for pallets to burn. Pallets to burn up there, John, John, John. And could they add in those lap dancing poles masquerading as listening posts? Oh, down the. Ah, no, I like them, John. When they work, when they work, very nice. But this is the bit that I've learned this morning that is really sort of after sitting with me, right? Not only did we pay, we pay. They didn't, we did. Not only did we pay four hundred and thousand, four hundred and four thousand euros for these things. Not only are we paying, not them, us, not only are we paying nearly 20 grand a year to keep the damn things switched on, we also paid two and a half grand for a 190 page report that effectively says nothing. And then to learn that when every other place, pretty much every other place that got them and tried them had an option to give them back if they didn't work. <laughs> we bought the flipping things. I mean, hello. Do we not learn from Sky Gardens? Do we not learn nationally anyway from e-voting machines? And do we not learn from convention centres? There, I've said it. 0818 This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Quartz 96 FM. They can call me. Wayne Hilton. Wayne Hilton. The weekend. On Quartz 96 FM. Join me Saturday mornings from 10. I've got four hours of the best music mix. Check out the Cork Weekend Survey. Have a go at the Wayne Teaser question. There's the latest celebrity gossip. A look at what's happening around town. And we'll keep you up to date with all your essential Cork news. Wayne Hilton. Saturdays, 10 a.m. With Newmarket Motors for the Volkswagen ID Buzz. Fully electric, fully connected, and full of new ideas. NewmarketVolkswagen.ie. On Cork's 96FM. Always remember that. Worth reminding you, when you read in the paper or hear in the news, the council paid 404000 for this. No, they didn't. You did, and I did, and Fergal did, and Emer did, and everybody else around you. Look at your man across the road from you. He did. We did. Finbar, morning. Hello, Finbar. Uh, oh, yeah, DJ. Yes, sir. What do you want to say? How are we doing, man? Are you well? I'm all right now. I'm all right. Wait, remember, you and I, we paid 404 grand for a pile of pallets. Uh, it's, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. I, I don't know where you'd get it. Like, you know, like it's it's real snake oil stuff. Like, somebody in the council okayed this, and they said, you know what, this is brilliant. Everybody like, else in Europe, every other city in Europe that tried it said, oh, well, if they don't work, we'll give them back. We're stuck with the bloody things. <laughs> It's terrible, but like you have to laugh. Like, do you know what I mean? You're the like, laugh or cry. Like I remember when they were announced a few years ago. <clears throat> I sent out a tweet from the man in the Simpsons who brought the monorail. You know, like it's it's farcical. Do you know what I mean? It's gonna suck in the bad air and give you good air, and uh, you know, like it's. Just like it's, a bit like I'd say, it's a bit like putting a, a dehumidifier from Harvey Norman's in the middle of the main street in Middleton last week. You may as well stick a Hoover in the middle of Patrick Street and just turn it on. Go for the best. Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> it makes no sense. But like, why was it done? 
Do you know? Like, whose idea was it for this to happen? Do you know what I mean? Like, modern technology, we have to try modern technology and all that. What a load of waffle. Like, 190 pages of a report that's inconclusive. I mean, Boris Johnson couldn't waffle that much. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it, <laughs> It's unbelievable, PJ. I know, and I know you're suspicious of the Green Party, but even Oliver Morden said last night, no, it's time to call time on these things. Well, after two and a half years, it's time. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so, like, they're, they're farcical. Do you know what I mean? And they get trying to go, oh, but they're great benches. Stick them on Princess Street. See, see how nationally dealing the rest of them love their new benches. Do you know what I mean? It's what a waste of money. What a waste of money. Mm. What should they do with them now, Finbar? Cash converters. You might get 20 quid for the lad. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least they should put some nice Christmas lights on. I know Cullum, and I, I don't doubt that he will ask someone, could we put, because the, the lads are putting up the Christmas lights at the moment to see if you more of them going up every morning. It'd be nice to put a few lights around them, you know? It, it would, if, if, if we still have them for Christmas, or they may as well make them look kind of half respectable, <laughs> you know? Finbar, good man. Thank you for that. 0818969696. John, I'll get you in a second, Kate. Hello, how are you? Oh, that's John. How are you? All right, get Kate in a second. John. Yeah. Um, well, look, this honest to cred on Mighty. I mean, what a colossal waste of money. And we know here that we had the option of just uh, renting them or, or, or just absolutely taking them and not have to pay for them. We were led to believe at the start. That's, I mean, the only way that we were going to get these things for our city was that we had to buy them. We had no option and that um, they were going to clear the air and everything. And I think there was a professor on with you, uh, and they said that they only just cleaned the air directly over it. That's what John Finger said, yeah, yeah, John from UCC. Right, yeah. Yeah. I remember that. But as I said, look, uh, the 12th of July, the, the, the robbers of the pallet, so I think they'd, they'd be most accommodating to take them off our hands, and after the border. And I put them up there, as I said, when you read it over to the decommissioned lap dancing post, another colossal waste of money, which was done by a lot of leaving office. I mean... I mean, no. They were nice when they worked now, John, to be fair. They were a nice idea. Well, what should have been put there was something like any more, which is a, a, a lovely sculpture below by the Heritage Centre and Court. Correct. Yeah. It's lovely. And what it's you lovely. should have done there, where the Innisfallen used to leave there, you put up a statue like that, you have a father with a suitcase shaking hands with the, or hugging his wife and two little kids standing by, because many of the father left there true, and only came home for a couple of weeks. And the, the kids grew up with the probably uh, ever seen true, the man actually, only once in the blue moon that's, that's such as being put there but I wish the guy that stopped uh, like I mean uh, getting stuff for the city that number one the people don't want and it's a colossal waste of money one of my neighbours was nearly brain the other day because the chute fell down and the corporation told them look they have no money in the budget to fix that kind of stuff at the moment yes they can spend half a million for just a quarter of a million for this kind of rubbish it's mm. crazy, like. I mean, there's, there's people crying out to get their houses that are rented from Cox City Council, get back doors, get windows fitted, get shoes put up, whatever, and then they pay money for this colossal load of rubbish. Yeah, yeah. John, thank you. 0818-96-96-96. I really, that is the thing that's after grinding my gears this morning. When Colin Kelleher tells me the other cities that said they'd chance these things had an option. So don't work, you give them back. And we're not out of pocket. Like, how do we end up half a million out of pocket for something that doesn't appear to work worth a damn? Kate, morning. Hi, how are you? Good. Um, did you watch the news last night about the buses? Oh, I know. They, they ordered all these buses, a hundred and something, 
and they have no chargers. <laughs> yeah, the electric buses. They are the electric buses. No chargers. <laughs> no chargers? I mean, like, come on. You, it, it, it's like some sort of a comedy show, isn't it? It it's is a ridiculous. Disgrace. Yeah, and it's happening all over. There's not enough. But by the way, they're, they're cutting down loads of trees all over the place, and we need them. They're the right things to have. Mm. Proper trees. Proper trees, yeah. Proper they're putting trees. a load of them in down on... Um, down on McCourton Street at the moment. They're putting yeah. them into... Now, they're basically big pot plants, but they're putting them into huge pots. But they're proper trees proper and they'll trees. be lovely. And they're gorgeous and we need them. I think the more they plant, the better. And for God's sake, would they ever go away and get the electric things? How are they supposed to have the buses? It must cost millions for them, you know? Yeah. And they're not Elect- out in the road yet. Electric buses <laughs> and no chargers. <laughs> Yep. You couldn't make that no, up, could you? Take yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <They> care. <laughs> you had that after cry, as everyone seems to be saying this morning. Thanks, Kate. Yeah, that was on the news last night. They bought, I don't know how many, um, 100 and something electric buses. Great. Fabulous. Fabulous. Electric buses. Brilliant. <laughs> Where are we going to charge them, boys? <laughs> Are we going to charge them? Are we going to go down to Tesco's and stick them in there? Or are we going to go around to the apartment block over the road and plug one of them in there? Help. 0818969696. But who it is? I really do want to stress that point this morning that Colm Kelleher has made. That when we spent, they spent 404 grand of our money, yours and mine, on these things. Every other capital or city that used them did it on the basis of, well, look, if they don't work, here, you can take them back. And we don't lose. We bought the bloody things. Why? Why did we buy them? Why did we buy them? And it's costing 20 grand a year to keep them going. Why are we keeping them going? And 190 pages of a report that cost us two and a half grand effectively says nothing. Nothing. Inconclusive. 200 pages. Inconclusive. It's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Tom says the council should be abolished and put in a new type of organisation. I never saw a good road in Cork. Ah, well, Tom, no, I wouldn't go that far. It was some lovely roads. It should be in their charter that they're reviewed for the basics like potholes, litter, like John said, fixing houses, they're taking on too many projects. Panel them, make them look nice, and the graffiti would be wonderful, says Richie. Morning, PJ, even Greta Thunberg wouldn't accept them as a present, says Raynor. How much money again did you say it would cost to run? Nearly 20 grand a year. 18,000. Nearly 20 grand a year. And no one held responsible again for wasting taxpayers' money. And it is a total waste of your money and my money. Not their money. When the council says, oh, the council spent. No, you spent. It's your money. Your money. Uh, Terry on one. Hi, Terry. How are you? How are we doing? What do you want to say, Um, sir? You just mentioned buses. Yeah. And a friend of mine who works in that sector, I won't say where, um, but he looks after, the, does the DOEs and all the rest of it. One, he said it's going to take two electric buses to replace one diesel bus in Cork. It won't last the day. Well, the electric buses, the charge won't hold the day, right? 
to ask one whole the day, as we all know, with the, the, the usual, you know, the cars and all the rest of it. Um, some of them are getting better. And the second thing is, he said, he, he works in, on, on the side of, you know, doing the DOEs. Yeah. And he said, the emissions coming out of a bus are cleaner than what we're breathing in the air. They've, they've brought the technology on so much. Well, diesel, the, diesel engines now are far cleaner than they ever were. That's true. Sure. I drive a diesel yeah. myself. Yeah. Very clean. Yeah, and so do I. And I get good mileage out of it and all the rest of it. Yeah. Out of my, I might fill in my, my export. I'll get nearly nine, almost 900 kilometres out of it. Yeah, yeah. And, and you have to put in your ad blue and you get yeah. a notification yeah. up in the dashboard, put in your ad blue, you go down, you buy a few litres of ad blue, ad blue and you're clean, yeah. you're clean as a whistle. Yeah, and it's even for, for women that don't know how to do it. You can go over to Kinsale Road. Oh, there's a pump over there. There's a pump over. I don't know yeah. how to do it. And right? It makes, I, it, it I, makes I, it very friendly. Absolutely. You know, and it's the cheapest place to get it as well. Yeah, you're saying that they're um, basically... I'm not, their, I'm not the, advocating them, no. You know, no, no, I'm just saying like it's... Yeah, 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 yeah the, the electric buses, though, to buy the home yeah. and, and no charges for them. Like. Yeah, yeah. And, That's why I see all this waste. And it's a very side issue. I saw, you were talking about Sky Garden. I think it's down below in the Lissard... Uh, hotel because we were running around there on Sunday yeah. and I saw on the map was Sky Garden. Well you know what it was like, it was like two bits of bent metal with plants inside in it. Yeah, yeah, well I didn't, we didn't, we didn't have a control on it so I don't know was okay. that we didn't have to run to it but it just said Sky Garden, it could be just a high garden <laughs> I don't know. But could well be, could well be the, the waste that we have in this country is phenomenal. Oh, what do, what do you think you last year? Yeah, what do you think of that? Everybody else had the option to give these things back, we bought them. Yeah, yeah, I, well at minimum, put them in, not into storage, <laughs> give them away to some country that wants to try them There you go, no, sell them Sell them secondhand, get something back. Thanks, Terry. 0818969696. Premier League Live is back this weekend at 96fm.ie with Trevor Welsh at the team. Saturday from midday, powered by Talk Sport. Wolves against Spurs at half past 12. Arsenal v Burnley at 3. Bournemouth against Arsenal at half 5. They're live and everything else as it comes in. Premier League Live online with Harvey Norman. You're home of the big screen. You're listening Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or 96FM.ie. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96FM. The minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 9696 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Mind with PJ Coogan. Cork's 96FM. Yeah, just looking into that again, what Kate brought up before 10. So there's 120 electric buses were bought for Dublin bus at a colossal amount of money. Your money and mine, of course. Colossal amount of money <clears throat> bought um, for a Dublin bus, and they're sitting in a bus park. <laughs> can't use them because they can't. Char- no charges for that. Not enough charges for them. So you buy a hundred and twenty buses, and you let them sit there, they're going out of date. Because when they're going to be used by the public, they have to be strictly kept up to date, technologically, and all that kind of crap. So. <laughs> 
So charges for them. So there's a hundred. Now, yeah, that was a prime time thing. I'm sure we could uh, have a look back at it on the player. Just, just, you just can't make it up, can you? Uh, fabulous radio. Long live the robot trees. Long live the robot trees. At the rate of money they're costing us, burn them. <laughs> Take something to sell them off and pallets. Use them what some people do with pallets. Turn them into garden seats or something. Finton says, I always thought the robot trees were put there on the quiet because there might be dangerous levels of fumes on Pama. Pana? No, I don't think so. Somehow. If this happened in the private sector, the person would be sacked or demoted. This is the person who decided to buy them rather than do what every other city in Europe that was trying them said. Oh, well, if it don't work, we can always give them back. Or we cut a deal with the supplier and say, look, if they don't work, we'll give them back to you. But no, we, we, we bought the bloody thing. And loads more coming in on that. Loads more. But first, I want to turn my attention to matters GAA. No, not necessarily on the field, but more off the field. Um, vaping. We talked about it yesterday with regard to the schools and the problem of vaping in schools. And more on that, listening to some discussions on British radio, vaping in schools is a huge problem. A huge problem uh, all over the UK and here. And it may answer, actually why the doors were taken off the schools to, or the toilets down in the school in Cove and Cardinavoy. Part of it is down to vaping, but but I will come back to that. One GA club has now moved so far as to ban vaping on the sidelines uh, because of the message it sends to young people. So not only can you not smoke in the grounds of the GA, or not, you definitely can't smoke in the pavilions or any of the indoor areas and you can't smoke now at all on the campus of the club and you can't vape on the campus of the club. This is St. Fecken's GAA club in County Louth in Termin Fecken in County Louth. And I wonder has any Cork club done this? If anybody has then do let us know. But Michelle Mooney is PRO of St. Fecken's GAA club in uh, Termin Fecken County Louth. Michelle, why have you decided to do this? Good morning. Good morning. Well, we have a no smoking policy in place from 2017 and um, this just seemed to be the national um, progression on from that. Um, it's in a lot the news, you know, and the HSE have come out saying that, that it's not harm free. And we have a lot of young people around and a lot of young people watching the people on the sidelines. So we just thought it wasn't um, a good example. And we really don't want vaping to become the social norm. Yeah. The smoking ban since it came in has been very effective, even in clubs where they've banned smoking in the outdoor areas. Yeah. Do you find or have you noticed young members of the club taking up vaping who perhaps have never smoked before? Well, there isn't much vaping in the grounds by the younger people because majority of the younger people are are, are there to to play sport. And hmm. um, the issue we would see is with adults actually on the sideline. But like personally, um, with doing school runs and stuff, I've seen plenty of young people, you know, vaping um around. So it, it's definitely on the increase. You only have to look at the you know the headlines to see it. It's definitely on the increase. And you know we don't know what. Um, effect it's going to have you know in the future so you know I just think it's really important just to set a good example mm. Banning smoking or vaping or anything like that in the open air Michelle I know when clubs started to do it first 
there was a bit of a pushback because people said, hang on, I'm out in the open. What harm am I doing? Did, did you have any pushback like that initially? Well, I, I suppose we're coming from an angle that, that it's it's not about the, the, the secondhand smoke from the vaping point of view. It's it's more that we're just trying to change the habits and and get it that it's it's not a social norm. They come in, they see the signs that they, they know it's it's not allowed and they know it's not good for them. So uh, it, it's more from that, from the vaping end, um, you know, it's not about secondhand smoke. From the actual smoking, you know yourself, if somebody lights up now, you really notice it outside. Y- yes. You're kind of looking around to see where it's coming from. So, you know, it, it really isn't the norm anymore. And it's great, you know, when you're out at a sporting event that it's just not happening. What does GAA headquarters say, Michelle, about the whole thing? What directives are in place? Oh, well, we are one of many, I think there's 450 of us now, of um, clubs that are taking part in the Healthy Club project. Um, and it, as part of that, they are they recommend that clubs um, bring this in. Um, and actually, like the actual policy itself um, statement comes from the GAA that we actually implemented. So they're definitely um, behind all clubs and trying to encourage more clubs to do so. And in fairness, a lot of a lot of young people are, are are growing up now that it's not the norm. Like you know, the no smoking policy has been in a long time, so it's not the norm to see it around the club, which is which is great. So we don't want the the vaping thing to be okay either. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was talking last week on the program to Dr. Garrett McGovern, who is, he's a doctor specialising in addiction, and he was making the point that look, vaping has a place as as a, a harm reduction method in, in addiction. But he would also support legislation to ban teenagers, young people under 14, 15, 16, from having any access to it at all. Would you would you agree with him there, that young people should not even be allowed to buy these things? I would I would agree, yeah. I, I, I think we just do not know the, the, the long-term um, harm. And like when, when cigarettes came in first, they didn't know the long-term harm of that either. Yeah. Yeah, as a, as a weaning off from cigarettes, I'm not a scientist, but I'm sure it's it's a good way to probably like the patches. But like for somebody who's starting and they go straight into vaping, it can't, it can't be good. Well, the HSE would, would tell you it's not on a number of levels, wouldn't they? They caution that it's not harm-free is the terminology they use. So, um, you know, they, they're the ones we would take advice from. Mm. What's the reaction been like overall? You've quite a sizable membership up there, 900 players. 900 members now. There wouldn't be about four or 500 players okay. themselves, um, adults and juveniles. Um, we would have social membership, people using the walkway. And, and like this, it, the, the reaction is quite good. Like people were used to seeing the no smoking signs. So, um we have plenty of signage around. Our own members are well aware of it. And then the signage we have up then is, is helpful for when we have visiting clubs and teams and supporters in that, you know, we can just point it out that, look, this is our policy. If we see someone on the, the sideline vaping, it's helpful that way. You're a first for me, Michelle. I've never spoken to anybody from Termin Fekin, that wonderful name. <laughs> it is. actually. Tell me about the place. Well, it's a, a lovely seaside village just uh, about five miles outside the town of Drogheda. And uh, I suppose our claim to fame, we have two lovely golf courses and uh, beautiful beaches. I didn't know there was a beach in Termin Feckin, for example. No idea. Oh, absolutely. 
Well, we unfortunately made the headlines uh, two weeks ago because of the flooding at, at the beach um, in Sea Point. But um, yeah, beautiful, beautiful beach. And we're, and we're only up the road also from Clarehead, which I'm sure a lot of people have heard of as well. Um, but and obviously with an excellent GAA club. <laughs> Indeed. Delighted to speak with you and best luck to everyone at St. Feckins. Do you, ever, do you ever play down in Cork? Do you ever come to Cork to play? Only, only county teams, not, not, not the club, unfortunately. Maybe that'll happen too down the road. Michelle, great talking to you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Michelle Mooney, PRO of St. Feckins GAA Club in Terman Feckin County. Louth, they've banned vapes on anywhere on the campus. Um, has any Cork club done the same? John says you can't stop people vaping in open spaces. You can, John. If it's your grounds, your club premises, your club fields, yes, you can. You absolutely can. They've done it. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Let's go back to yesterday for a sec. Chatting with uh, Katie O'Keefe from the newsroom about Bruce Springsteen and sold out Parky Cueve and sold out Nolan Park and sold out the whole country next May in, in a matter of hours, which is great to see. But looking at the cost of accommodation, now the ticket prices here are dearer than anywhere else. That that happens. That happens, and Peter Aiken, the promoter, would blame it on a lot of things, one of them being insurance and claims. That's another discussion. But the cost of accommodation, how much it costs to stay in Dublin if you want to go to see Bruce Springsteen. And we had this message came in earlier on this morning, or was it yesterday? We held It was yesterday, we held it over, that there should be a cap put on the price of a hotel room. Now, if you go into any hotel, close the door behind you in the bedroom, there'll be a little poster or a little plaque on the wall, a little framed thing, and that'll have prices in it. And that is the, they are allowed to charge that then, say, be 150 a night from May to June or May to September, for example. They're allowed to charge at least that and then they can go up from it. There is no maximum. Uh, Aaron, do you think there should be an imposed maximum on the cost of well, a hotel. Good morning. Morning, Peter. How are you? Do you think uh, there should be? Ah, uh, 100%. Like, uh, I was hearing you on about your cap. Your cap, you were even saying that 280 euros should be the maximum. Um, well, I got tickets for Coldplay for next year, myself and the family. Um, four tickets. And I was quote, my, the most expensive quote I got was 680 euros for one night in the hotel, and that was without breakfast. And the cheapest quote I got from any hotel in Dublin at the time was five hundred and sixty euro for one night for a family room. Wow! Which I think is absolutely disgraceful. Um, like these. What did know, the tickets cost you, Aaron, for the four? Yes, uh, the four was. I think it was. Oh my God! Let me think about four hundred and something. Four hundred. Okay. I think it was four eighty or in a hundred and something like each for the ticket. About a hundred, a hundred and ten, one hundred and twenty each, something in the lines okay. of that. Okay, so the hotel you know was dearer than the gig. Likes, I don't mind paying that for the likes of Coldplay. Yeah, sure, but the hotel was dearer than the gig. The hotel was, gee, mother of God, six six hundred eighty or one crowd once once it shared just for a family room, um, and that was without breakfast. <laughs> like this is these are bog standard rooms. This isn't a five star hotel we're staying in. Yeah. These are standard hotels. And they think this is right to charge people this extortionate amount of money. I think they're an absolute disgrace. And now they'll say to you, Aaron, supply life. and demand, you know? Ah, supply and demand. PJ, 680 or for, for, for one room. Like, I got... Uh, my missus accidentally, after she got the tickets for um, 
Dublin. She accidentally got redirected to a French site for Coldplay, for Leon, next year as well. So she said to me, she goes, we're after getting in here, we've been offered two tickets for Coldplay for Leon. I said, do you know what? Come on, we'll make a holiday bit. You're a fan then, obviously. Oh, do you know what? I think they're brilliant. I think they're absolutely brilliant. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, that it's going to be the one, the last concerts they will be playing in Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, so may as well make the most of it while you can um, so look we got the two tickets for Leon we got we booked a hotel which is basically right near enough right across the road from the arena mm-hmm. and including the flights the flights accommodation and the two tickets cost less than Dublin and that was only for the hotel that's like flights accommodation to tickets for Leon sorry yeah. Cost less than the hotel in Dublin. Good God. And they, and they won the How, how I, many nights did they go for? We're, we're going to go for two nights. Two nights. So two, two nights, nights in Leon. Beautiful place. Beautiful yeah. city. Absolutely two nights stunning. in Leon. Fabulous arena. Mm. Hotel practically on top of the arena. Hotel right across the road. And I'm talking maybe 100 metres. That, that's how close that's it is. the football stadium isn't it yeah, it that's is, a yeah. fabulous it's stadium it's unbelievable unbelievable I was there years ago in that stadium yeah I think um, I, I think I might have been at a rugby match there one time yeah fabulous it, it was absolutely the tickets we got the tickets we got we were bang right in the middle looking straight at the middle of the um, stage well sure look if you only see it on telly Aaron which we've all seen like there isn't a bad seat in that stadium no there's not no the stadium is unbelievably uh fantastic the way it's laid out. And the tickets were cheaper than Crow Park? The whole lot together, PJ. The whole lot. So I got flights, accommodation, and the two tickets for Leon cheaper than the accommodation was charging me for Dublin alone for one hotel. For one standard room, one family room, um, without breakfast. That's incredible. Like, they, like, like you've, do, you remember, do you remember not so, not so many years ago, these crowd, all the hoteliers, come on on the radio, come on on this and that, complaining about, you know, after the pandemic and just before, saying, oh, please help, we need uh, help, you know, we're, we're losing money left, right and centre. And this is the way they, like, they do it all the time. Yeah, you, you look at all your main concerts, right? You look at your, like, the Bruce Springsteen now sold out. You have Coldplay was sold out within, within hours. You have Taylor, the likes of Taylor Swift. Yeah. You know, the minute they see that, their prices quadruple. Triple to quadruple. They're rubbing their hands and they're, uh, in my eyes, completely and utterly screwing over normal families to try and have an enjoy- enjoyable weekend or night, for that matter, up in Dublin to see their favourite band or whatever it is play. You're 100% right, so Aaron. You're 100% right with that. They do. They, they watch the dates and they jack up the prices accordingly. But here's where we fall down. Like, I went up... Uh, a few months ago we went up to the Borgash Energy Theatre uh, to see a show um, mm-hmm. the three of us myself and myself uh, myself and herself and the young fella and we booked matinee tickets and we went up and down on the train in the same day the yeah. reason being not that we were too mean to pay for a hotel I wouldn't justify it we looked that's, at it that's exactly 400 my quid to stay over like. I, 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 I'd be like yourself look, I, look I, w- I, w- I don't mind paying for things if I think it's reasonable and you know they're not screwing you over basically 
And for, for a standard, I can't justify. I was. I said to the missus, I said, do you know what? We're going to go, but I will drive up and I will drive down because I'm not mean in any sorts whatsoever. I don't mind paying a certain amount of money. But when I see them prices, I can't yeah. justify it. We, yeah. myself and the missus were on holidays there, what, two weeks ago. And we went to Croatia, Dubrovnik. Mm. And then we flew from Dubrovnik to Lanzarote. And, and that didn't, that costs a little bit, uh, just slightly more than the 680. Like for, for the, what, two weeks we were, we were gone? Yeah, no. I can't, ju- I can't justify it. I can't justify the likes of Dublin. The, Dublin. It's only Dublin. Dublin is really good. Well, I, I did an experiment here and I, I was prepared to name the hotel because I had all my receipts and all my research. Mm-hmm. So when we couldn't fly, this is, this is one I have personal experience of. Yeah. But we weren't able to fly for the couple of years. We took our holidays in the north. Still left the EU. We took, took our <laughs> holidays in the north up in a gorgeous place called Carnlock, which is up, up on the coast there, up on the, and it was fantastic, but we drove up. But on the way up, we, that, exactly. it's 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 up on up, up on the coast there, up up towards the Giants Causeway. It's on oh, the Causeway yeah. coast from Larne up to the Giants Causeway. Carnlock is along the coast. It's a stunning, beautiful, beautiful little Lovely. place. We had a great great holiday up there, right? And great yeah. value for money, by the way, while you're there. But on the way up, we stopped over for a night in Dublin on yeah. both occasions, and we stayed in the Gresham. Because yeah. there was an offer. And I remember getting, with two hotel rooms, making two rooms, and in a July night, that was a Monday night, admittedly, but in Monday oh. night in July, two rooms for 190 and 210. So we did it two years running, right? Yeah. The minute the pandemic was behind us in the rearview mirror, just mm-hmm. for the crack, I tried to book the two rooms again for the same night, and we were looking at nearly 550 quid. Just that's it. And, and there's my point. You know, as I said to you, and I made the point there a few minutes ago, these are the same crowd that come on cribbing, moaning, saying they, did, they, they you know, couldn't afford this, couldn't afford that, and that, you know, there was enough people staying in the hotels. Now, you only have to look at it. What Irish person is going to stay in a hotel for that crazy amount of money for, for, for one night. Well, that's they just this. They are doing your, it. They well, are doing I, it, Aaron. Well, some, some, some of them are. Some the of them hotels will be sold out. You can't get a room in Cork next no. May. But you look at your favourite place. You like going to Lanzarote. Love it. Yeah, you go out to Porto del Carmen or Costa de Guise or, or, mm. or, or them places. You get your flights and accommodation for your, for your week and you're being charged less. We were sitting for, there's a place, you'll know it, in the capital, Arecife. It's a five-star hotel. Yeah, been there. Yeah, yeah the, 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 with the restaurant on the 17th floor. They're purely for pig iron. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And we were there last mm-hmm. July having lunch. I decided how much would it cost us to stay tonight if we were going to? Again, two rooms, five star hotel. Five star. Yeah. 300 quid. Yeah, sounds about Two right. rooms. Yeah, and that's the capital. And that's including the breakfast you can eat for a week. Uh, it's the, like, you, you, you know what it's like over there. Food food is very, very reasonable yeah. over there. It's, it's cheap. Drink is cheap if, no. you're, a drink, if you're a drinker. Look, no, it's, it's, top, a different, it's a different it's a different economy but it's a di- you have but it's a different economy come back home and you're saying to me 600 quid for one night in Dublin uh, I for a family I can't justify room. that I can't justify no, it no 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 you're dead right I can't it's not a hope in hell and, and I, the sooner like, like, the sooner stop people start stop doing it drive back after the gig I, I get a bus back I the, the government gig. will pull their fingers out and put a cap on it it's the same it's the same with flight you notice I was speaking to your uh, colleague there a few minutes ago uh, you go down to mid midterm breaks. You, you know your schools are out the whole lot. The likes of your flights, mm. the likes of Lanzarote or Portugal or, or wherever you're going, the flights triple. Yeah, flights triple. You're like what you what you would be paying a hundred and eighty uh, return, maybe two hundred return. You're paying four hundred plus return. Mm. Oh, it's 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 not like these. The our government, you know, so called government, need to get their fingers out. I need to start capping these guys because it's so wrong what they're doing to the to this normal family that are trying to get away or, in mm. this case, trying to go see the, a concert. It sounds lovely to talk about it, Aaron. And you know what? Mm. Over, over a pint, it makes well, a whole pile of sense. Or over a cup of coffee at half ten in the morning, yeah, it makes a whole pile of sense. Do you see it happening? No. No, because you'll be accused of, and rightly so, you'd be, and, and before you know it, you're in the European court trying to interfere with commercial business. That's the yeah. other side of it. Well... <laughs> there's, interf- there's interfering and having an opinion. True. True. You know, no, I agree with you. In, we're all entitled Absol- to an opinion. Yeah. Hey, listen, I completely agree with you, fella. Do you know, and just... my, my, my opinion is that we're being robbed silly. Oh, blind. By, by these crowds, and, and they think it's all right. And our government is just letting it, letting it fly past like it's nothing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, what, you, know you, said that, you said the cap should have been 280. And no, I, I didn't. No, and, no, and I, no, no. What I, I said you was you said it in around that. You well, what, what I said, what I said was, you know, the thing on the back of the door. You've seen yeah, it. Yeah, nice. yeah. That there's a and price on that. To, yeah. yeah, and 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 they're allowed to charge it in that range. Yeah. Well, There's, I even think two eighty for a standard room without breakfast is too much. Oh, without breakfast, should be, shouldn't be allowed at all. No, uh, no, no, no. Like if, if you pay, like, if you have the room, you should be entitled to the breakfast without. Oh, geez, question that should come hand in hand. You shouldn't even have to think about that. Yeah, you're, you're correct there. This you idea know? of paying extra for breakfast. Once <laughs> I see that, I'm on to another page of Booking. dot com. hundred percent, hundred percent. I'm not paying for breakfast. You, no, not a chance. When you're paying that amount of money for a hotel, 
Jesus Christ, you'd expect a three-course meal, never mind the breakfast. <laughs> it's true. For six, 680 or 560 euro, Jesus. Man, God, it's mad. It's, it's mad. Listen, Aaron, good conversation. And I do agree with you, by the way. We are being cleaned out here by the hotel chains. Not at the regular times of the year. There, look, before anyone starts pushing me back and going, there is great value to be There's fantastic value to be had in Ireland when you go looking for it. But on the night of a gig in Dublin, or the night of a gig in Kilkenny, the prices go through the flipping roof. Now, we are responsible for that because we pay. Well, I don't anymore. We pay. Look, when I look at the stuff that's coming to Dublin in the next 12 months, and particularly the stuff that goes to the Borgosh Energy Theatre, which we love. Brilliant theatre. Love that place. I'm looking for matinee shows so we can go up and down on the train or maybe drive up and down. When I went to Ed Sheeran, I got a bus home. Do you know? I, I'm not just not justifying the price of, of, of those hotel rooms anymore. Uh, when I hear the money they pay for concerts and football matches, says the Baldy Barber, and then they crib over a 16 euro haircut, which includes 190 VAT. Thank you, Baldy Barber. My granddaughter was going to Harry Styles in Webley. They got a flight and a hotel cheaper than getting a standing ticket in Slane. It was €250 cheaper for London. I'm going to Andre Rieu in Dublin. Brilliant, Mary, brilliant. Hotels are €500. Yeah, you see? 0818969696. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Look, it's the law of supply and demand. That's true. And if you put the price up to a thousand euro, somebody will pay for the room. And if you put the price of the flight up to a thousand euro one way, somebody will pay for them. We're the biggest idiots of all. We pay. We pay. That well, some of us. Do. We do. If they put the price of the hotel up to a thousand euro a night, somebody will pay. It. They know that. Oh eight one eight ninety six. 96, 96. Now, to mind the price of price flights at midterm, I often wonder why people bring their kids away at midterm at all. Because, well, you take them out of school and it's easy. I get that. But should the airlines and the travel agents all know that? They all know that. What you find, though, when you go abroad and you rent separately, do your own thing, you'll find that, yes, the, the flight is twice the price when you go away on midterm. But guess what? The apartment is the same price as it was the week before or the week after. So we are being, we are being crucified. Mentioned the buses and these hundred and something electric buses sitting idle in, <laughs> sitting idle in, a, in a bus park in Dublin because they can't charge the damn things. Seely uh, is in Watergrass Hill and the topic of buses, you wanted to bring it up with me. New, new caller, first time caller to this show. Morning, Seely. Morning, Peter. How are you? Good. Good to talk to you. This is the 245 bus. Oh my goodness, we have a serious situation, like you know, with the 245 bus. What happens? Because, like, you know, the amount of people that are taking the bus is just like unbelievable, like, you know. You so, get it in Watergrass Hill, yeah? Yeah, I live in Watergrass Hill, yeah. Okay. But, like, you can go to bus station around two, but there's no guarantee for you if you will be able to make it on the half two bus. You Understand. know, we try to complain. But where are you going on the bus, go Celie? Like when you get the bus, where are you going on it? I'm from Watergrass Hill to town because I work in town. Okay. 
Yeah. So, like, you know, the situation, you know, it's just hopeless. Like, How often does it come? It comes every uh, half an hour, like half two, half three, half four, like. I see. And the first bus from Watergrass Hill, it's like 7.45, but it's not always on time. I have you. And so you, even in the morning one, like there's no guarantee for you that you'll be able to get in the bus. Like this morning, my son went there, the bus was full. It has to pass. Yeah. You know, so like the situation, you know, I, I, like we don't even know what to do because like even if we complain, like the only thing that we get, oh, sorry, we are sorry about that. That's it. Yeah. You know, it happens time and again, time and again. I've tried to complain as well to Sheila O'Callaghan, the counselor. And like she knows the situation, but do you know, I, you know, it's just a hopeless situation. Like it's, you know, it's so clearly I, a very busy route, Celia. It is, like, it is. You're getting caught to go a taxi from Watergrass Hill is not cheap. Like, like it takes it costs a fortune. Like you know, because sometimes I finish work ten or ten o'clock, so I have to take the taxi. Like officer, we pay like forty five euros if the bus is full. Crikey. So that's, you know, it's really that's half your wage is gone. It's really, and the, that is the longest queue in bus station, the 2452. Is it? The one, you, yeah. you mean the bus station in town, yeah? The bus station in town, yeah. yeah. So, like, for now, we don't even know what to do, even if you can wake up early. Like, and, and how often would you have to get a, a taxi home from work or to like, work? Maybe it can be, like, twice a week. <sighs> because you have to start morning sometimes, or even sometimes start around 8, sometimes start around half 8. You know, so like really, there's no guarantee. Like it's not like Middleton because I lived in Middleton for the past 13 years. There's always a a train and there's a yeah. bus, but yeah, like you only depend on the bus or a taxi. Of course, I you forgot know. that. There's a, and the train service. My my daughter uses the train to go to Little Island for work a couple of mornings a week, and she's always good on about how brilliant the train is. Yeah, yeah. Or oh, there's always transport around that, but here you only depend on the bus. The bus, yeah. Yeah. The bus is coming from Glonmel. It's always full, like, you know, always full. Okay. And they won't allow anybody to stand. It can be one or two drivers that will allow maybe two people to stand. But the rest, they will say, oh, no, the bus is full. They can't take people anymore. Yeah. Well, I suppose they're, they're governed by the numbers that they're allowed to take. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we, we can't blame, it. We can't no, blame them as no. well, like, you know. No. So, so twice a week, you're paying 45 quid for a taxi to go to or from work? Yeah. For taxi, like and like now. And how much is the bus fare? How much is the bus fare? because I'm using a lip cut now. The bus is like four euros something. I think four thirty with a lip cut. Some different, isn't there? Some difference. Yeah, there's a big difference, and we are done to pay cash. Okay, all right. But like now we are putting into like how are we going to do? Like four o'clock is already dark. Yes. You know, it's already dark. Like. Yes. Yes, and the evenings are cold and damp and dark. They are cold as well. Yeah, they are cold as well. So, like, for now, when you go to Twitter, it's always bus 245, bus 245. And, and, and Celia, can I just add, you'll be going home from work in the evening, and you say yeah. it's a very long queue in it the is. bus station. How long would it you be waiting in the bus station? Like, when I finish 10, I, I take a taxi to town, maybe like 10 minutes. Uh, the bus is up 10. The last bus is up 10. I see. Up 10, yeah. You know. Okay. So like it's it's it, 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 like it's a real situation like you know. It is. But now is. like we don't know what to do. Like I've tried to tell people to complain, complain, but our complaints like they don't go anywhere. Like you know. And there's a there's lot of new housing gone in down there in Watergrass Hill and Matt Cormack. 
Sorry? There's a lot of new houses there, a new population, a new people. Like it's a lot, like it's a lot, like you know, if like you are you go to bus station around half three, half four, you can see the queue, like oh my goodness, yeah. even if they can bring the double decker bus, but there's no guarantee for you to be on the bus. Like yesterday, there was a double decker bus, the queue was crazy. Like I was the next person to go in, the driver said, Let me check. He went and checked, the bus was full. I have to wait for the next bus off, which was half five. Oh, no. Silly, sorry to hear that. Uh, Silly, first-time caller from Watergrass Hill. Love that name, actually. Thank you, Silly. I'm trying to remember the last time I heard the name Silly. And I know what it was. It was a television show. But there's the Watergrass Hill to Cork bus, the 245 bus. I think it goes to Formoy as well, doesn't it? Um, very, very busy bus service. They're waiting 45 minutes in the bus station for it. It goes past them full on the mornings, and she's having to pay... 40 quid or more for a taxi to get into town to go to work. Clearly bus errand need to improve, because there's more people living in that part of town now. I remember when Watergrass Hill was barely a road. It was barely a road with a house or two on it was Watergrass Hill, and it's a major area now. Same with Fromoy. Need to do better, I think. Better bus If you want people to use public transport, you have to give them public transport that works and that is reliable. I know, as someone lucky enough to live near very reliable and very excellent public transport, I know what it's like to have it, so I can't imagine what it would be like not to have it. Thank you, Celie. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 FM. Win a pair of Apple AirPods with Quartz 96FM. Just take our 10-minute music survey and you're in the draw. Tell us the tunes you'd listen to on repeat and what songs we should delete. Win your very own Apple AirPods. Give it a go right now. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. C96FM.ie Might interest you to know that including today there are only 33 Opinion Line shows left until Christmas. It is only 47 days away. And before a light goes on in the city. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. And the reason is the holly bow is on the shelves. It's the first sign of an official start. To Christmas in Cork, editor John Dolan. John, good morning. Good morning, PJ. The most beloved, the most Cork, the most utterly pure Cork thing of all Cork things is the holly bell. <laughs> Isn't it just, yeah, 126 years old, PJ, would you believe? And it's, it's, it's going as strong as ever. People love it. It's such a pleasure and a privilege to, you know, to be the editor of this. And, you know, I'm just a conduit, really, for contributors like yourself, you know, for this year's edition. You know, people who, you know, have a story to tell and write it in the Holly Bow. And, and it's just a great kind of, it's written by the people for the people, I always say. And I think that's one of the, the keys to why it's such a success for so long, mm. you know. You've looked into this since you took over as editor a few years back. There isn't anything like it else anywhere else in the world. 
No, and I think every town and city in the world should have a holly bough, shouldn't it? I mean, what a, what a loss to not have one. But yeah, it's it's funny because, you know, when, when the holly bough was founded, 1897, um, there were quite a few Christmas numbers they were called, you know, different names like that. And they were popular and they were great reads, you know, by, by the candlelight and by the fireside in winter, you know, something to get your teeth into and lots of fiction in them, a lot more fiction than we would have in our holly bough today, I'd say. Um, but yeah, for some reason, the holly bough has, has thrived. And I always think it's because of the Cork people and the Cork spirit um you know and it's there's something unique about cork that nobody else has and that's why the holly bow has been this kind of strand and and then christmas is obviously a traditional time of year anyway that we all do the things we did last year and our parents mm. did decades before you know and their grandparents did so you know there's something there's there's a strand there that's kept this together and others have fell by the wayside and the holly bow is just roaring away it's so successful and so popular um and it's just as i say I, it, it's such a privilege to do and you know it's so rewarding it's such a rewarding job to do as well it goes Goes to the four corners of the globe, doesn't it, John? Oh gosh! Well, again, I think one of the one of the things I've just mentioned the, the spirit we have in Cork, but it's the people, isn't it? Because they leave Cork behind, and you know they 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 still bring Cork with them, and they, it never leave it never leaves them. You know, it's in their soul, it's in their heart, and you know, years ago they would never have come home, and of course they they have the luxury of being able to do that occasionally now. But yeah, it, it goes it goes to Australia. This is one of the reasons why it's published so soon, and you know, I know people often groan in early November about Christmas music and things, and I think the Hollywood always gets a pass because people love it so much but it's it's one of the reasons we print it so early is so that people can send it to Australia and to America and, and everywhere around the world where they have relatives and friends you know it's one mm. of the things that you know you, you can't do it in the middle of December to Australia because it's too late so you know that's one of the reasons why it's on the shelves early and it's, it's, it's great to get the feedback as well so early in, in, in the Christmas season When I spoke to you a couple of years ago about it you were short a few front pages, have you got a full collection now? Nearly, PJ, yeah. I put out a call. We have the very first copy in 1897, which is a treasure. And then the next one, the next one we have is in City Library, and that's 1924. And I put out a call because we do have a few missing holly bows in, in the library there. And it was great because in this year's edition, there was a, a lady, Model Farm Road, who came forward, and she had the 1932 holly bow, uh, which, which we didn't have. And she was very generous, and her family very kindly donated it to City Library this year for its archives. So it will always be there for Cork people to, to look back on in years to come and say here's the 1932 holly bow so that's the third oldest holly bow in existence but yeah. I'm sure that there are missing ones out there in people's attics and places like that you know that, 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 that you know if people find an old holly bow uh, have a look on our hollybow.ie website and see if we have that and if we don't yeah. and of course know, it's online you can all... buy it online now even, you, you, even if you didn't manage to get one by post to the distant corners of the globe you can buy one online the front page john is beautiful mm. it's a cracker isn't it this is the, uh, every year we have a different cork artist we have so many great artists in cork but we're very lucky and this year's uh, fiona foley who, who lives out in tomes near mccroom and she she's an artist a, a beautiful artist she does great artwork and uh, way back in may this year uh, when we had that really hot spell i was on the phone to fiona asking if she could do the holly cover for this year and and she she transported herself into the christmas mindset you know which is great uh, and the only thing i say to the artist is don't have it too red because 
we've got the famous red surround and it might get a bit lost and then i just leave them to it and it's an absolutely stunning cover it's beautiful it's mm. it's anyone who hasn't seen it yet on the shelves it's um it's all of the, the famous buildings and the spires and the shops of cork or many of them anyway about 33 or 34 of them all kind of you know higgledy piggledy as she calls it yeah. a selfie on all and, put and together you, you recognize them and, and we won't we won't go into a list because people will <laughs> will have the joy of it and the, the quiz yeah. is back the diffley quiz is back i mean that's how many st stephen's day lunches are dominated by what's number 53 in the bloody diffley quiz <laughs> I know, I know. Isn't it great? It's, it's again. It's just become one of those staples, and people people have that but, but a little bit of extra time at Christmas, don't they? A few days at least, or even a week or two. Um, and it, and the Diffney quiz. The beauty of it is, it's it's it goes across all generational boundaries. You have to have young people involved. You have to have older people in the corner involved as well. Everybody has an answer in them. You know, it's it's not it's not a brain quiz. It's not an IQ quiz. It's it's really is something that you know you might not know a rapper album, or you mm. might not you might not know the old Irish song, but somebody does, you know, yeah. that kind of way. It's on our shows now. We haven't talked about the content, John, because it's the same content. It's the same kind of content. It's all new content. 164 pages of it stuffed into it. As a Corkman, when I look at it every year, I kind of go, yeah, now it's nearly Christmas. It's brilliant. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's fantastic. It's <laughs> John, thank you very much. Holly Bow, on the streets now, in your shops and online, six quid. It's the best six quid you'll spend this Christmas. It is pure cork. There's nothing like it. It's the most pure cork thing ever. Actually, we might do that uh, before the end of the week. I come back to think, what is the most pure cork thing ever? For me, it's the Hollybow. The Hollybow and Barry's tea, I suppose. The most pure cork thing ever is the Hollybow. And it's, uh, and I mean it. Um, I mean it. And thank you to John for having me in the Hollybow for uh, 2023. 0818 Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Corks 96 FM. The minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Mind with PJ Coogan. Cox 96 FM. Still have stuff coming in the cost of hotels for gigs and how it's cheaper <clears throat> to go abroad for a show or a gig and stay over and to fly than it is to go to Dublin, say, for a night and see a concert in Croke Park or the Aviva or wherever, Three Arena or wherever and stay over. It is cheaper to go abroad to do that, which is absolutely bonkers in 2023. I'll come back to them. I'll come back to them. Also, I remembered where I heard the name Seely before. Um, one of my favourite shows, there's about nine seasons of it, is Bones. Remember Bones? Seely Booth was one. I was trying to remember. Seely, Seely, Seely. Seely Booth was one of the agents in, in Bones, played by David Brenas. Is it Brenas? Wasn't he? Didn't he as well play? Wasn't he in Buffy? Now I'm showing me background and watching too much television. But there you go. Yeah, Seely Booth and Bones. What am I doing? I have so much to do, I'm nearly forgetting it. Oh, yeah. Smartphones in schools. Now, the Minister for Education, Norm Foley, 
has said she will bring a memo to Cabinet encouraging parents not to buy smartphones for their children who are going to primary school. So, in order to keep smartphones out of primary schools, the Minister is going to put it over to the parents. Rather than, and this is my take on it, I'm open to correction, Norma Foley is the Minister for Education. If Norma Foley doesn't want smartphones in primary schools, then Norma Foley says there shall be no smartphones in primary schools. I would have thought it is as simple as that. But what she's done instead is she's asked parents to agree not to buy smartphones for their youngsters. It's six and a bit weeks to Christmas. Santa is getting letters from all over the country looking for smartphones for Christmas. And Norma Foley is telling people, oh, don't don't get a smartphone from Santa. Rather than, in my view, and I'm open to correction here, doing her job and saying, as Minister for Education, I am banning smartphones in primary schools. Seamus O'Connor, O'Connor, friend of the show and, of course, principal at School of Radio. Seamus, she is abdicating responsibility here a small bit, I would think. Good morning. Good morning, PJ, and thanks for having me on again. Um, Look, I suppose in the first instance, and having heard a lot of national politicians from ministerial level down to councillors across the county talking about this um, issue, um, I suppose from a parental perspective, um, people are having difficulty with smartphones in their homes, um, Mm -hmm. TDs, councillors included, and I do believe, you know, there needs to be a national conversation around this issue. Totally appreciate that. I have children myself, and they're seven and five, and I'm I'm, I'm fearful for when they're 14 and 12 as to where we'll be at with smartphones in the first instance. So I think the overall discussion is is a good one. Um, However, look, schools will always go above and beyond to help our, 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 our school communities here in Middleton, as you know, you've had some of my colleagues on over the past two weeks and you know we will do what we can to support people. I'm just wondering is this slightly outside of our lane? In other words, um, when the Kigari come in this week, the, the, the National Teacher Inspectors to discuss how the schools are running here, they don't mm. want to hear about the work myself and my colleagues here have done over the last two or three weeks to support our families in relation to floods. Mm-hmm. They just want to know about teaching and learning. Yeah. And I would relay that back to the Minister in the sense that this is very much a parental issue, and 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 I've absolutely. And any time I've been on the show here, uh, PJ, I've always said that you know schools were not perfect, and I'm not perfect in how I run my school. But I'm very slow to tell parents how to parent their children, and I'm wondering does this slip into that zone of we're all trying? Do, do you know what I mean? For per, school, perhaps, Seamus, by, but, but at a time when Santa is being bombarded with letters, yeah. looking for. Samsungs and iPhones and whatever you have on yourself. Yeah. It is a much easier conversation for mom or dad to say, look, Santa can't bring you a phone. You're too young. Because you can't, can't take school. it to school. I can't let you bring it to school. Santa can't bring you a phone. That way, there's another couple of years before the child. And I, yeah. if you take communion time in May, the number of smartphones being bought, you'd stop kids yeah, I, I would t- t- contend that you'd automatically stop kids getting smartphones if they knew and their parents knew you just can't take them into school. That it would be prohibited. And I think that's a very valid point. Now, I suppose to give you a, a genuine background as to where this has come from, over the last five or six years, I can think of a particular school in Blenerville just outside Tralee. Mm-hmm. Um, their parent body got together and they uh, they did brick phones only uh, model. And that was around 2018. So, you know, the old Nokias and so forth that didn't have internet connection, but you could yeah. send a text and you could make a call. 
contextually here in all schools, like families are now quite reliant on mobile phones for the security of their children outside of school. So 10 years ago, and even to this day, it's still the process here in our school, that if a child isn't collected on time, they're supposed to walk themselves back into the school or stay within the school grounds until they're collected. And if they're not, they come into the office and the secretary makes a phone call. Is that fair? However, I suppose it's progressed over time that now the the feeling is that parents would have, the child would have a phone at the bottom of their bag and they'd pull it out and ring them themselves. So in schools today, two things. Uh, nearly every school I know of has a, a mobile phone policy whereby if, if a child, um, first of all, parents have to give permission in writing for the child to have it in school. Okay. And it's generally kept at the bottom of the bag or handed up to the teacher. And then obviously if it's found used during the day, um, it's 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 confiscated until the end of the day and so on and so forth. Now, the difficulty there, as you can imagine, with the smartphones, it's escalated because a lot of them have data and, you know, the, the urge for <laughs> the urge for children, for, t- for young children, particularly fifth and sixth class children to take out the phone when the teacher isn't looking and take pictures is always going to be there. So that's yeah. the first issue. Um, and what I would say, secondly, is there is a national digital framework in relation to how schools are supposed to um, undertake IT in schools and as well inform children as to how you use how to use such devices so that has been undertaken but you know we 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 are in 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 a space here where i'm not sure if schools should be policing uh, parents you know their views on what they should or shouldn't um be purchasing for their children and equally to your point i think it's very valid i mean uh, you know, if 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 the Minister for Education decreed that no school and no primary school in Ireland could have smartphones on site, it would make my job far easier. Because at the end of the day, it, 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 this has been rolled out as a national initiative. I have no guidelines whatsoever. I have no policy. It's kind of a, we. Any time I've been on the show, PJ, and you mm. ask me about something new, and you say, "What's the details for this?" and I say, "PJ, the first I heard of this was when it was released." In, and again, it's the same. So, and that's the first thing. And the second thing, I suppose, on a, on a from a principles and collegial perspective, you know, I've been on the show on a number of occasions and talked about both new initiatives that I'd welcome, mm. such as this one. In, in in general, I would welcome this, but again, because there's no actual workings for it, I would I've a difficulty yeah. around it. But secondly, that, that, I think that's the point I'm making, Seamus. Is if yeah, she said. If she said that from January first, twenty twenty four, no child is allowed to bring a smartphone into a primary school. That would mean that you could sit down with your staff and say, right, here's the minister's instructions, here's how we're going to impose it. With no instructions, you're making it up as you go along. Exactly. And to be fair, if the minister did make that point and did decree it, you know, it would be a far easier conversation at the table with your child in relation to purchasing a phone. It would, because this is this is the rules now in the schools and that's the end of it. When there's a grey area, some schools will implement it very heavily. And bear in mind, our secondary school colleagues will implement it even more heavily than primary. Um, you know, there is going to be discrepancies. And with the best intentions of the world, you know, um, there'll be comparison between schools and localities and so forth. And that's that's where the difficulty arises. Look, the second point was that Norma Foley said that this became, this became apparent on her travels around schools that this was the top three issues that she'd heard from her from principals and as i said i'm part of the national principals forum which is just a a lobby group of of, of principals and we did a one minute um, survey on monday morning we got over 500 responses back by yesterday evening and of 20 options of issues that are currently here in schools phones came up 16th so you know i mean again at a time yeah 16th so at a at a time when you know we we Budgetary issues are massive for schools at this time. You know, the, it was released this week, our grants for this coming, this academic year. There's a thing called Minor Works, which is roughly €10,000 for my school, and plus or minus for others, which is vital for, you know, the roof, 
the windows, you know, small repairs. Mm. That isn't on the list this year. That's the first thing. And last year, we didn't get an IT grant, which again was worth 10 to 15,000 euro. And we were also, um, you know, we were short in relation to our ancillary grants. So that's just one element of discussions in real time here in primary schools that we're having that I feel the minister hasn't addressed properly. Mm. Um, but look, again, I am conscious that, you know, the smartphone discussion is is prevalent in families, okay. especially leading into Christmas. Can I bring something up with uh, also, Seamus, that is making a lot of headlines, certainly in the UK, my listening to various discussions there in the last few days, and indeed it's come up here yep. too, vaping. Now, I know among yep. very young children, it might not be a thing, but we hear from the UK kids as young as seven vaping. Yeah. Have you come across it? Yeah, and thank you for raising it. Again, that was actually in our top ten. Was it? Um, it was. Um, it's something that's becoming far more prevalent within primary school. So, look, PJ, when you and I were in school, you know, smoking in the sheds and so forth, at least it was outside. And then it moved indoors into toilets. <laughs> and um, I, I'll give you an example. I have my school email here in front of me, and I have three different companies uh, over the midterm who emailed in offering to sell us vaping sensors for our toilets. Okay? So that'll tell you how prevalent of an issue it you is. You are kidding um, me. No, I'm not. So... It is something that maybe two or three years ago mightn't have been an issue, whereas now it is, it definitely is. And I suppose it's not localised to my area. It's, it, it can be a school in West Cork. It can be a school in the middle of the city. It, it's an issue. And the reason is because the older, it, it, particularly to give you a small background, you might have one or two children here who have older siblings and it's the older siblings who have them. Then the younger children see it and then they're kind of taking their supplies and bringing them into school or bringing them into the park or, and having them in school. Do you understand my point? I do, of course. So, I honestly, wholeheartedly, as somebody on the ground, I think the vaping issue is a bigger issue than the phones. Because don't forget, all schools in Ireland have anti-bullying, mandatory anti-bullying uh, policies, right, that we follow rigidly, that we train our staff in, that we, you know, that are available to our parent body. And as part of that, the cyberbullying is an element of that. So just to let you know, PJ, if you have two children and there's cyberbullying going on outside or one child is attacking another child, we'll say on WhatsApp, if the, the, the victim's parents come in and bring some evidence in, we're entitled to bring in the other set of parents. We put it to both sets of parents, this is happening, and then it's up to them to, relatively speaking, solve it, be it via the guards or, or yeah. let, it, let us draw a line at that point. So the point is, we've certain structures here in place in all the schools to support families around smartphones, we'll say when it goes wrong. But in relation to vaping, bar the code of conduct and so forth, we don't. And I think a national campaign in relation to vaping is possibly more prevalent at this time than, than the phones. So phones were of less priority than they were than, than, than vaping. But I again, see, I hear the news was, this morning. Was, go on, sorry. That was a survey. Sorry, PJ. That was a survey amongst principals. Of course. So I suppose if you were to survey parents, it possibly phones may be higher than vaping. So I, I would premise that. You see, or may have, may have heard in the news this morning, the Minister for Health now uh, anxious to get a ban on any child under 18 or anyone under 18 buying a vape to get that ban in place yeah. by Christmas. Would you support that? Yeah, I completely support that. And again, it would give us far more. I'll give you an example. So in this school where I am here, we had an issue with vaping. So vaping wasn't technically on my code of behavior. You know, smoking was, but you're not allowed to smoke in school, but <laughs> vaping wasn't. So we had, to, we had an issue here and we had to change um, the vape, you know, and include the word vaping in our code of conduct, right? So if, if it was made um, illegal for children under 18 to be sold these items or to have them, that would be great because it would just come in under the illegal, um, issue, you know, illegal items in the school that you can't have. Do you understand? So it would make my life a lot easier, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't ask you to comment on the actions of other schools, so I won't name the school, but we did discuss 
here yesterday, a school where they took mm-hmm. the doors, the main doors off the toilets. And part of it was because there was so much vaping going on. Have you seen that happening anywhere else? Over the years, anecdotally, you'd hear stories. I suppose behaviour manifests itself differently over time, PJ. So, look, I'm in education 25 years, so I would have heard of issues where, you know, cameras needed to be installed in corridor. You know, when we were on the show, when I was on the show with you 15 years ago, the idea of putting cameras in the corridors of schools was a big issue, you know what I mean? But it was needed at a time because when when children were moving between classes, at times issues would arise. Is that fair? So I suppose maybe this is the further escalation. I can't, I can't. I wouldn't be critical of any school for any move, and I don't know the story if that's yeah, fair. But of course, um, I, I suppose to, to be, I, I would assume that there was good reason for it, and if it was, and I would assume it was communicated why. That's pretty much what people said. Seamus, thank you as always. Uh, excellent insight into the world of education. Seamus O'Connor, principal of School Bridge uh, in uh, Middleton. So there you go. And this was a principal's survey. Now, now Norman Foley's talking about phones and to getting parents to not buy phones, encouraging parents not to buy phones. Seamus just said if she just banned phones out of primary schools, it would make life an awful lot easier for himself and his colleagues. And with regard to vaping, vaping was a much higher priority among a survey of principals than phones were. See there, and in case you missed it, it was in the news at 11. Uh, Stephen Donnelly, the Minister for Health, is trying to push it through by Christmas that no child under 18 would be allowed to buy a vape or vaping product. And isn't that what Dr. McGovern was saying here on the show last week when I spoke to him, Dr. Garrett McGovern? He said, and he treats addiction and he, his clients use vaping to get off cigarettes. So he, he sees merit in vaping. And he said there's a lot of myths and nonsense concerning vaping. And he went through that with me. You'll find that interview for Search Our Podcasts, Dr. Garrett McGovern. But he wanted no child of an age of 12, 13, 14 to be able to get their hands on a vape. So with a bit of luck, we'll have a, a good job, a good day's work done by government if they manage to get that ban in this side of Christmas. 0818 and Irish on Cork's 96FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. Welcome along to the program. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10am to 2pm. With Cork Simon. Anne wants to give everyone the home that Cork gave her. She's leaving a gift in her will to Cork Simon. Find out more at CorkSimon.ie. Cork's 96FM. Do you ever see someone posting pictures of where they go on holidays and their pictures and their enthusiasm and joy for where they're going? makes you want to go there. Such is what happened to me over the last few days, looking at the Twitter feed and Facebook feed of Philip Nolan, Philip of the Irish Daily Mail. You'll have first heard Philip on the show during lockdown. He was the man who started putting up pictures of his dinner, and he still does it from from time to time. He puts up pictures as well of the cars that he gets to drive, and of course we're all dripping with jealousy when he does that as part of his job as a motoring correspondent. But Philip, your pictures of South Africa brought across a love for the area, and that's where I want to start. You love it so much. Why? Good morning. 
Good morning, PJ. Yes, I do, because um, back in 1999, when I was working at the time for the Evening Herald, um, independent newspapers owned um, major newspaper chains in Australia, New Zealand and South Africa. And they had a fellowship program where one journalist from each of those papers could spend three months working on any other paper in the group of their choice. So I went to the Cape Argus in Cape Town for three months in 1999 and not only fell in love with the country, but also made you know a, a lot of friends with whom I'm still in touch, as you may have seen on the uh, on, on the photographs. Was that because you are a man who also loves to travel, and you've been in practically every country in the world? Was it just the the, the gig came up and you chose Cape Town? Yes, in actual fact, my my initial choice, my original choice was um, New Zealand uh, when I applied for that fair program in 1998. And I didn't get it that year. And it turned out to be an absolute blessing because halfway through what would have been my summer away, my dad actually died unexpectedly. So I would have been away. And being in New Zealand would have been a long way to get home. So when it did come up for me the following year, and because my mother was still alive, I thought, you know something, just go to the nearest place effectively. And, you know, uh, South Africa is more or less on the same time zone. It's usually only an hour ahead. Mm -hmm. At the moment, it's two because we changed our clocks. So, you know, there's no jet lag, which is another great thing. You know, um, jet lag only really kicks in when there's a massive time difference. But because there isn't, uh, you just fly up in a straight line. So it's great. You you arrived as the, the, the rugby team was heading back from the World Cup. I did. I had a couple of days work in Pretoria first. So I flew into Johannesburg uh, last Tuesday, Tuesday of last week. And um, I arrived in at nine o'clock and the airport was completely hopping, as it would be here, I suppose, if we had won. Um, and yeah, music and dancing and everything. The team were due in at 11. And then while I was in Pretoria, they did a kind of a victory tour in Soweto, uh, Pretoria and Johannesburg. And then when I arrived in Cape Town on Friday, they had just finished their victory tour in Cape Town and were arriving at the airport to head on to Durban. So they're kind of following me around for a few days. How are they they following you? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) That's my thinking anyway. So we hear a lot about... get regular callers, South African callers who are now living in Ireland and, and they and they talk about, you know, it's a it's a beautiful place, but it can be a tough place to live. Let's focus on the good stuff. Why do you why do you love it so much? Well, first of all, it's physically stunning. And, you know, I often wonder, I mean, you know, they say that that uh, the human race originated in, in South Africa or certainly in, in sub-Saharan Africa. And I sometimes wonder if there's kind of some sort of genetic muscle memory that just ties us to the place. But it really is gorgeous. But more to the point, the people in South Africa are just the friendliest. And look, you know, yes, when I say that, the people you meet, you know, socially and, 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 and through work or whatever are very friendly. But still, of course, there is a massive crime problem and you certainly don't want to be out by yourself at night because something will happen to you, more or less. Um, and you have to be careful when you're driving in case you're carjacked and stuff like that. But that plays into something else we'll probably talk about later. But for the moment, yes, the good stuff is just just brilliant people and great food and just everywhere you look, there's a view that kind of takes your breath away. It really is an extraordinary place. Mm, they love they, they love their food and they love to barbecue. They have a whole new take, a whole take on barbecue. Completely. I mean, funnily enough, I I met two different, I had a lot of people to meet. And on Saturday, I met friends on Saturday at lunchtime and I met, and then I went on that afternoon and both of them had uh, prepared a massive braai for me, which is the South African word for barbecue. So I had two braais on Saturday. It was very full as a consequence of that. But yeah, I mean, borovores would be the big thing. It's that kind of circular sausage thing that they do on the Mm. grill. And um, they'd be very fond of biltong as well, which is that you know, what we would call beef jerky, I guess, um, dr- dried beef. Yeah. And then there's another dish, a poiki, which is like a stew. But um, yeah, I mean, the the the, the out, out, outdoor living is a big thing there for obvious reasons because of the climate. So uh, yeah. I'd say a lot of people cook probably more outdoors than indoors. Yeah. What is the climate like? You arrived to pouring rain, but it didn't wasn't long changing. 
I did, but it was really weird actually because on the Saturday before I left, the temperature in Pretoria was 31 degrees and when I arrived on the Tuesday morning, it was 12 and absolutely lashing rain and it basically didn't stop all day and there was like severe flooding in some places as well, but they get these fronts that move up, you know, we forget the two hemispheres, that their fronts tend to move up from the Antarctic, so um, they just had a freak uh, cold front, I guess, uh, with lots of rain. But then, you know, by the end of the week, in, by, by last Friday in Pretoria, it was back up in the low 20s. And the whole time I was in Cape Town from Friday until Monday night, uh, it was in the 20s as well. And while it was cloudy and the mountain, Table Mountain, often disappeared, mm. um, the weather by and large was great. I didn't see any rain. So, yeah, it was good. As people, we seem to get on very well, Philip. I, I, I think there's a thing between... My, my daughter works with a South African guy and we have them called I think as people the Irish and the South Africans we were almost born to get on Absolutely and I think you know there are some there are many factors that kind of explain that in many ways I guess um, you know we're both post-colonial societies we're both we obviously much further down the road but they too are a fledgling democracy they're a fledgling democracy with all the problems you associate with that um, and, you know, they have a massive hill to climb in terms of providing for all. The, like, it's a country of 62 million people. We have to remember this. It's, you know, much, much bigger than Ireland geographically and in terms mm. of population. And it's just, it's very difficult. I, I think when people saw the ANC elected in 1994 after Nelson Mandela was released from prison in the first democratic election, they assumed there would be some sort of magic wand. But the magic wand really hasn't happened, unfortunately. Yeah. I've, I have a friend I was in college with, and I, I met him last year for the first time in many years at these inevitable roundy birthdays that happen at this time of our Indeed, lives. to us all. And I said, Joe, I said... He said, do you know how long it's been? He said, no. I said, it's been 36 and a half years, he said to me. But I spent 14 of them in Johannesburg. He said, I loved it and hated it at the same time. And one of the things he didn't like was he was expected, because he was in a good job and earning good money, works in IT. He said, I was expected to have a servant. Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, that that is... Uh, and most people, when, certainly when I was there in 1999... Uh, it wasn't even necessarily just the one. Some people had two or three. They would have had a housekeeper and a childminder who lived in, or they and they certainly probably would have had a gardener. But the thing about it is now, unfortunately, that like every house, you, that there are enclaves, and, and this is the the. the the, the, the hill that South Africa has to climb because there are basically areas where black people live and there are areas where white people live and in the white communities you'll see a lot of high fencing around houses, you'll see barbed wire, you'll see signs beside the front gate saying that you know the house, uh, they, they pay for armed response security mm. because you know burglaries and, and incursions are, are frequent enough unfortunately mm. and you know, there's a reason for that too insofar as you know there is very, very high unemployment. The overall unemployment rate at the moment is running at about 33%, but youth unemployment is running at over 50%, 51 or 52% at the minute. And that's, you, you, when, you're, when you're driving around and you see just gangs of young people, um, mostly young men as it happens, um, just hanging around like braziers um, where they've let them to just kind of have a social outlet, I guess, and living under bridges. And even in Cape Town, you know, I saw I saw some improvement there insofar as on the road from the airport into town, that used to be basically one long kind of town of shacks. And it seemed to me this time that a lot more brick housing had been built there, but there still were a lot of shacks. Um, mm. And that's the way a lot of people still continue to live. Are, are there still shades of the apartheid regime then, if we assume? No, not at all. No? I mean, that's the, that's the other problem. 
is that um, you know that there might be you know there might be you know unconscious bias I suppose among some people, but there's nothing legally um, in place. The problem is that no. The what African I mean is, Philip, do, do the black community and the white community, the Africaners and the black community, do they all do they live and work together? Do they? I know they do the absolutely. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they 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 definitely do now. But the, the issue, I guess, is that um, the African National Congress, the ANC. Um, that, that, that has been in power since 1994 um, really hasn't moved quickly enough to alleviate the problems and the, you know, every single person you talk to will talk about corruption in politics, uh, most of which is just people taking bribes or whatever. So that whole culture really is quite entrenched in the system now yeah. and that's very disappointing. But then that's said and done, as everybody also says, there's really kind of, you know, a very ineffective opposition. So who do you vote for? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's well, like you said, I, I, was, I was intrigued by by your photographs and, and your, your love of the place, which you've explained to me. What, you, in, in terms of value for money, now look, the rand isn't worth tuppence, so we know, we, know, we know that, but you've got incredible value for money out there. I did, and I'll say this with, with, with caution, because I know that people running businesses here get really annoyed about this because there are so many different factors yeah. at play in terms yeah. of staff costs and rentals and all that. So basically, well, the only reason I'm saying this is because if you are travelling down there, you will get great value for money. I mean, I, I was at a gig last Saturday night um, with friends there, and I got it, like it, it, it beggars belief that this would cost so little. I got two vodka and cokes, a whiskey, a Jägermeister, a glass of white wine, um, and a pint of beer, and the whole lot came to thirteen euro and fifty-seven cent. But like I say, the reasons for that are a very favourable exchange rate for us, low staff costs, and mm-hmm. just you know purchasing power parity to a South African. That might be, you know, a fair amount of money, but because of the rand for us, it's not, you know, and that's the difference. And of course, the other thing at the moment as well is they're they're enduring um, load shedding, which effectively is blackouts, per cuts every yeah. single day of the week. I had a caller yeah, about that not so long ago. Was telling me about that actually load shedding. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, everybody has a nap, and effectively the app tells you when it's your turn, uh, what time every day. Though for most people, it seems to be roughly the same time every day for a few hours. Up to 12 sometimes, unfortunately. Yeah, but all the, again, if you are traveling down there, all the hotels and, you know, restaurants and, and places like that all have generators. Mm-hmm. And so there's this kind of, there's this kind of like 12, 15 second lull where you're in pitch darkness and then everything just kind of gently kicks back in. Um, mm-hmm. But for ordinary people in the, uh, at home, they have to just sit it out unless they have a parent virtue, yeah. And, and lastly, um, be, being a rugby fan, I'm watching more and more in, of engagement now between the Ireland and South Africa with the URC and more trips mm-hmm. up and down. But would you encourage someone to give it a shot, Philip? Oh, absolutely, hundred percent. And I mean, you know, again with a caveat, you know, you do have to, you do have to watch where you're going. There's no yeah. question about that, and there's no point in trying to sugarcoat it. But the other thing that is incredibly cheap down there is Ubers. And they're plentiful and they're safe. And, you know, with as with everything on Uber anywhere, look at the driver's star rating. And even a stupid thing like the airport from the airport to my hotel was like 21, 22 kilometers. And that, that Uber was like 12 euro. So even in the city center, if you even have to walk, you know, a thousand meters at night uh, between two venues um, after dark, just hop in an Uber. Uh, it'll be it'll cost you two or three euro. And for the peace of mind, it's, it's more than worth it. And what's the nice hotel room cost then? Well, you see, again, it's, it's like anything else. I, I was kind of lucky insofar as I, I book a lot of my hotels on hotels.com and if you, you basically get reward nights yeah. if you sign up. So I had more than 10 reward nights. So I had an average uh, discount of um, 114 euro. 
So what I did was rather than, you know, um, going to a cheap hotel and getting a free night, I booked a better room but used it uh, to the, for that upgrade, if you're with yeah. me. So I got a lovely room in a hotel to park in um, um, and, and I had a balcony with a view of Table Mountain. Not that the mountain played ball all the time because there was a lot of cloud. But uh, that, that's what you do. You pay for experiences. And yeah. um, so I think I paid for the, for the three nights, I think, with the disc, after the discount, I think I paid three, like 315 euros or something oh, like yeah, that. Yeah. But again, that would, be, that would be very mid-range. You could do an awful lot better than that. Right. Philip, listen, a pleasure to talk to you. And your photographs are wonderful. Philip Nolan, the Irish Daily Mail, just back from his beloved South Africa. Fell in love with the place 30-odd years ago and he worked there. and He still keeps that love today. For all its problems, for all its problems, he loves it. And his pictures, are fin- they'll find them all over social media. Just look him up, particularly on Twitter, Philip Nolan1. 0818969696. On schools and phones and whatever. Uh, if the students can't have phones, then the teachers shouldn't have them either. Total ban. That's from a grandmother. So the. T- so you're suggesting that if Norma Foley were to ban phones out of schools, that that should also include the teachers? Okay. Terry says, I helped Santa in a school for many years. In the first year, Santa said that in that school, people shouldn't be asking for iPhones or iPads. Over the years, they stopped asking. So Santa's little experiment worked there. And I'm sure he might listen to other schools who would try it too. And Bernie, I think all the phones should be banned from all the schools. The phones are not there for education, despite what some people might say. And we don't know the effects of them. When it comes to Minister Foley... She should do her job. Well, as Seamus said, it would be so much easier for schools to implement control on phones if the minister just said from January 1 they're banned. It would be so much, so much easier to do. Oh, wait, one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six talked earlier about the cost of hotels and going to shows and how they jack up the price of going to a show. Boycott them, says this message, which is unsigned. It's a very simple solution. Put manners on greedy people. The dopes coughing up extortionate amounts. This is this person's words, not mine. The dopes coughing up extortionate amounts for hotel rooms and concert tickets need to be called out for being a part of the problem. If we all boycotted it for a while, it would have instant results. Somehow I don't think you'll manage to get an empty stadium by boycotting, but I see your point. I do. PJ was at a show in the West End last year, the Lion King. I got asked at the counter for £400 sterling for two tickets. I said, I don't want to be part of the show. I just want to see it. <laughs> so we sold them for 50 quid each. If you don't ask, you can't get. That is from Pat. And lots more stuff coming in about the cost of hotels here versus the cost of going away and seeing a gig overseas including the hotel, and it would depress you. 0818-969696. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Corks 96 FM. I remember the Marina Market had a place one time called the Wild Hogs Food Truck, and I remember the food was so fantastic. Out of it. Have you ever wondered why? Gone now, but ever wondered why? Because it was a Michelin-awarded chef who was behind it. I speak of Richard Milnes, uh, formerly of Dillon's and Tim League and the Wild Hogs food truck. A uh, bit of a pivot for you lately, Richard. A stay-at-home daddy. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you doing? Good. How old is Junior? 
Um, well, my smallest is one and a half. Okay. Um, I've got a three-year-old and a nine and a twelve-year-old as well. So um, keep kept pretty busy. That'll keep you busy in any kitchen, so it will. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Much more pressure. <laughs> yeah, it's been a tough few years for the food business, hasn't it? It has. It has. Oh, it's been you know to to, to come through something like COVID, um, and for a lot of places to try and keep the doors open keep the staff paid, keep the bills paid, um, and then to try and reopen into, into into what they're opening into is just, it's, I don't know, it's, 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 I find it crazy, you know. It was difficult enough as it was before, um, and then to continue it into this where your prices are going up, you know, people's spending power is going down. Mm. Um, it's, it's a very difficult situation that we have now, I think. Energy is a killer. Energy is a killer, yeah, absolutely. It all is. It's the food costs, it's the transport costs, which automatically put up your supplies. It's everything, you know, the staff costs going up. Um, it's, it just makes it very difficult. The spending power going down, you know, it, it's a culmination of everything, really. You know, I think it's not any one thing. Um, it's everything together that's just making it close to impossible. Mm. The, the growth of the food truck businesses during the pandemic was fantastic to see, but they're difficult to maintain, too. They are, absolutely. And I think what happened there as well was, you know, everybody and and rightly so jumped on the bandwagon and, uh, you know, because they also had businesses to support. Um, And then they're kind of, you know, it it got flooded a little bit. And then when restaurants started opening again, that's where people wanted to be really because that's what they missed. Um, And then suddenly they went back in and then everything dropped and there was still new businesses coming in, opening up, and there just wasn't the footfall there. Mm. Um, Now places like the Marina Market is fantastic. They've done an an amazing job there. Um, Every time I go up there, the place is absolutely flat out. Um, I still have a few friends there with businesses in it. And, you know, it's absolutely, it's it's amazing. It It was a lifeline for a lot. Of, a lot of places that got in there, you know, mm, and it's something that will stay and 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 be a permanent part of permanent attraction, which is wonderful to see. And the wild hogs, I'm not, I'm not talking out of turn here. The wild hogs was just fantastic, and a lot of people were sorry to see it go. <laughs> the the new yeah, pivot now is pop ups. Tell me about that. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Well, I, I I think I think what people are doing now is is just it's kind of getting them out there again. It's kind of it's almost like re- kind of restarting the industry a little bit because we went through such a bad time of it and people having to close their doors. And, you know, these are all people who probably from a very young age have worked in kitchens, you know, 60, 70, 80 plus hours a week nonstop. And then suddenly they're going to zero and then they're kind of going back into it with a fresh mind. And they're like, you know, what, what can we do that's going to keep it interesting, um, you know, to keep them interested, to keep other people interested in them, which is kind of what you have to do to sell, to sell your restaurant. Um, and it also gives people access, you know. So say there's a there's um, a chef I know now from Dublin, and he's coming down to Sheen Falls doing a pop up, um, and I think it's fantastic because the people there then they don't have to make the trip up to Dublin, pay obviously exorbitant hotel prices, um, and stay you know one possibly two days. They can just go down and experience his food um, without having to make the journey. I think it's great. Well, what does um, it involve? Got- you go in and you take over the kitchen in a restaurant. You run the kitchen for a couple of days. That is. Yeah, I suppose there's there's different formats to them. Um, now I'm doing one at the end of this month in Bally de Hob um, with Robin Elaine in the Chestnut. Mm. Um, That's a famous so restaurant in itself. It's actually it's amazing. It's, it's an amazing place. It's probably my favourite restaurant. Um, so it's it's an honour for me to get to go in there. Um, but yeah, the way we're doing it now is we're kind of doing forehand. So myself and Rob are going to take a couple of dishes each, um, and we're going to do it that way. But other other times they go in and they do completely their own menu. Um, I suppose it just depends. There's different formats to them. But just the idea of getting another chef into the kitchen is fantastic. You know, it's great for the other staff to see and learn different techniques and 
you know, it's great networking as well. Tough and all that as the industry has been, though, isn't Richard? That we have, and I think always here in Cork in particular, and down in Kerry as well, we're blessed with not just the endless supply of wonderful, wonderful food, but we're foodies here in Cork. We love our group. We do, yeah, yeah, we do, and we're 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 you know we're very discerning um, yeah. when it comes to restaurants. We know what we like, and and you know we want what we like. Um, and there is, you know, the produce down here is second to none. I mean, I, I, I've, I've travelled all over the world, and I've never come across anywhere that has the standard of ingredients that we have here. And it's also noted all over the world. You know, we, we are famous for it, and particularly down here in Cork, in West Cork. You know, I think it's the climate. I think it's the enthusiasm of the people, of the growers, of the suppliers. You don't kind of get that anywhere else. Yeah. Well, you're in Chestnut. In about, when is that on? Um, that's on the 29th of this month. Um, so it's 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 sold out, unfortunately. But oh. there is um, there is a waiting list for it. Um, so we are we are kind of taking people for the waiting lists because these kind of things, you know, people tend to rush book them, you know, because they are they are so limited. So I think that might happen sometimes. So you know, if if anyone is interested, there is a waiting list. All right, Richard. Good luck with it, and with any future ones that you might do. That's Richard Mills, formerly of Dylan's, uh, Tim League, and then the Wild Hogs. Remember the Wild Hogs from the Marine Market, that incredible food truck, one of the first food trucks in the early days of the Marine Market. Wonderful, wonderful food down there. He will be doing his pop-up in Chestnut and Ballydale. Lots of other chefs doing it as well around the It's keeping their hand in, keeping themselves in the action. Uh, good to see that, Richard. Thank you. 0818969696. Now, Lorraine and Ross are back in the morning <laughs> from 6 and a listener is in need of help. Now, I've watched the videos of these and heard some of the madness on the air. A listener in need of help. I wonder, like, what they'll come up with. You never quite know, do you? Yay or nay is back. And there are two opportunities to play the two grand minutes. Right, have we anything else? Oh, yeah, the Christmas lights. Uh, thank you for some nice comments on my piece in the Holly Bow. Lovely message, this one. The kids had the Holly Bow waiting on my mam's bed when she came for a sleepover last weekend, she was beaming from ear to ear. Yeah, that's nice. And Christy says, I noticed in the city centre there was Christmas lights up already. Does that mean there'll be no official turning on of the lights yet again? We need it back because it's always a great night and creates a great atmosphere. Well, I can't answer that question, but we will try to find out whether there will be an official switching on of the Christmas lights. We don't know just yet. But the reason you're seeing a few of them going up um, every day and every night, Christy, is it takes the bones of three weeks to get them all up and all ready and all tested. It takes a long time. You don't just go out of a night and throw them all up on the wall. So that's why there's a few of them going up every night. But we must try and find that out. Is there actually a date for the switch on of the Cork Christmas? Lights. It would be nice to know. That's it from us for today. Program edited by Emer O'Hay, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Put all your podcasts up ASAP. We'll talk to you tomorrow just after nine. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. 96FM. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.